Well, welcome to The Walrus and the Carpenter. My name is Jason Allegut. I'm the teaching pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Peoria, Illinois. And with me, as always, is Gary Gear, pastor of Calvary Baptist Bible Church, also in Peoria. Gary, how you doing over there, man? I am. I'm living the dream, and the dream is that there's no open restaurants and there's not a single live concert the entirety of this year. This is a, a very bad first world problem. Yeah. Oh, I meant and, to tell you the other day that Karis, right as she was getting ready to walk out of a thrift store, she found a Dawes t-shirt and she wanted me to tell you that because she knows why, how much you like Dawes. Why didn't she buy it? She did. Okay. Oh good. yeah. She bought it. Yeah. Okay, I meant to, good. I think I even took a picture and I forgot to send it to you, but uh, I know much, how much of a concert goer you are and especially how you like Dawes. So Dawes, Dawes is like an old man hipster thing. I mean, seriously, where we feel like we're still relevant, although we're really not. <laughs> and we just lie to ourselves. For sure. For sure. Well, a lot of different things have uh, definitely occurred and are not occurring. Uh, Allison Krauss just got canceled or rescheduled. Yeah, I saw that. And so, um, yeah, we're just living in a different world right now. And so um, it's an uh, interesting time. Well, it is our joy today to get to interview uh, my good friend Carlos uh, from uh, St. Louis, Carlos Smith. And, and Carlos is the um, pastor of uh, the Journey Hanley Road. And um, he is a graduate of Covenant Seminary, and he is currently working on a Ph.D. in systematic theology from Midwestern Theological Seminary, where I'm also working on a degree. And so, Carlos, man, welcome to our show. It's great to have you on. Happy to be here, Jason. Glad to hang out with you guys. Yeah, definitely, man. Well, hey, as we're getting started here, would you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your your little bit of your history, maybe, and your family, and what you're doing at at the, the journey? Yeah, man. Um, so, yeah, I'm a um, I'm a, a a native of Detroit, Michigan, um, the greatest city in our wonderful union. Uh, now, now, and, pardon uh, me, Carlos, pausing right there. What part of Detroit? <laughs> Uh, the West Side area, Six Mile and Greenfield area. Okay, I I lived in Southgate for three years. Oh, get up! Now, I get actually up, I actually went to Detroit in Inner City at at, at Inner yeah. City Baptist. Yeah. Really? Wow, man! It's a super small world, man. Yeah, my uh, <laughs> my my uh, my dad. Yeah, man. My whole my whole family and most of my family to this day is actually still in Detroit. I got you know a few few uh, siblings that are outside the city now, but most of my family is still um, right in Detroit. Very um, cool. So. So yeah, man. Um, yep, I uh, grew up there, born and raised. Um, went to school. Uh, went to did undergrad at Indiana University in Fort Wayne, Indiana, um, and uh, accepted uh, my call uh, to preach. Lord made it really clear um, that He was calling me to preach, and also when I started preaching, made it really clear that I needed more training to do it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> those, those first few sermons were something. Uh, and <laughs> so. Um, Man, the Lord sovereignly led me to to Covenant Seminary, um, which brought me to St. Louis um, about ten years ago. So, in fact, ten years ago, almost to the day, I, I moved here um, in June uh, 2010, um, wow. and I've been here for a decade. Um, and uh, most importantly um, of everything, um, I'm married to the lovely Monique Smith, um, and uh, I have three wonderful kids. I have Carlton, uh, who is eight years old; he's my oldest. Um, and then I have twin girls. I have two six-year-old little girls named Maya and Nia. Um, and so, yeah, man. And uh, as Jason said, I, I serve at, at, at the Journey Hanley Road as the lead pastor there. So the Journey is a multi-site church. So we have five locations uh, around the St. Louis metro area. 
Um, and I serve uh, the Hanley Road location is actually University City, um, right around the corner from Washington University. So I serve a very young church. Our average age of our congregation uh, is about 35. Um, we have a lot of college students, um, a lot of young families. Um, it is a it is a, a fairly ethnically diverse church. Uh, probably 74% of our congregants are white. Um, the other 25% are um, uh, a variety of ethnicities, with African American being the largest um, chunk of that 25%. So we're not. We're, I mean, we are we are diverse. We're looking to become even more diverse. We're looking to grow in that uh, ethnic diversity. Um, but we're not. We're definitely not monoethnic. Um, we have a good amount of um, of internationals as well, particularly just coming from our university connection. Um, and just a community that we're in in University City is one of the most diverse zip codes um, in the state, actually. So it's a very diverse area where I serve. So, yep, that's a bit about me, man. Yeah, so, Carlos, real quickly, I'd love to talk just a little bit, if you would talk a little bit about your transition from uh, First Baptist of Chesterfield to Hanley Road and what the what the yeah. differences were from that uh, perspective. Oh, man, that, that that's a great question, man. You're talking about differences. It was, like, different in literally every way possible, except for the gospel. Um, but I served at First Baptist Church of Chesterfield. Um, uh, when I left, I was the associate pastor of uh, Christian Education and Family Ministries. Um, but I served that church for eight years. Um, and First Baptist Church of Chesterfield uh, is a uh, is an African-American, historically African-American church. Uh, the church itself, um, when you start talking about black history, um, the church uh, was founded by slaves and freedmen mm. um, and and had just celebrated and is celebrating uh, this year, I believe, 180 years. Wow. Um, and so this is a church that is uh, historic. Um, it is it is a church that for me, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, when you talk about my identity, just who I am as a person. Uh, you know, I'm a son of the historic African-American church. I was saved in a, in a black church. Um, I heard the gospel in a black church. I was discipled. Um, I was, I've been mentored, raised up, um, as one personally who did not grow up in the church. Um, it's the historic African-American church that taught me what it means to be a churchman, uh, to be a man of God, to be a husband, to be a father. I learned that in the African-American church. And so, um, <clears throat> until coming to the journey just two years ago, that's the only world I knew, um, you know, in terms of a, a church attendance perspective, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. I went to Covenant and stuff like that, but right, you know, um, so so Chesterfield, come from Chesterfield, um, it, definitely the demographics were radically different, not just ethnically, definitely ethnically. You're talking, we were shoot 99% black, mm -hmm. um, but also age wise, man, I served. It was it was an older congregation, um, you know, and you know a lot of lot of lot of boomers, um, and. You know, the, the, you know, around, around Chesterfield, if you were like mid forties, you were considered still pretty young, Yep. you know, <laughs> and uh, it was one of those churches, uh, you know, it facing a lot of the challenges that a lot of churches are facing today, where you got kind of the 40 and up crowd with your millennials missing. And then you got like some kids and some teenagers because they're the children of the 40 year olds, you know? Right. Right. Uh, and that's kind of, that was our gap. I was one of a handful of, of millennials there, um, you know, and so coming to, 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 to the journey, um, was like whiplash, man. I came from an, a, a historic church to a church that was just planted, you know, um, 18 years ago, a church that right. was 180 years old to a church that's uh, 18 years old, um, a church, a, a, a traditional, you know, felt very much like a, what you would think of um, as, a, as a Southern Baptist church. And it is a Southern Baptist church, by the way. I would want to throw that out there. It's an right. African-American church. It's, it's one of our um, historically black SBC churches. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, you know, very suit and tie, 
you know, to the journey, which is very ripped jeans and flip flops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's yeah. just, I mean, night and day, man. Night yeah. and day. Yeah. Yeah. One of the differences that you, um, and we don't need to get into this too much. I thought this was really interesting. <laughs> the historic um, uh, black church kind of uh, has this uh, mentality of if you're the pastor's wife, you're the first lady of the church. In fact, some of our African-American folks in our church call my wife the first lady of the church. And um, how that sort of has been a good change or something that your wife was really thankful for at at Hanley Road, not having that kind of weight or responsibility um, at at Hanley Road. And so there's (laughs) just another sort of a cultural difference uh, as well. I, I do think it's interesting, too, yeah. you, you mentioned that uh, First Baptist of Chesterfield is a historically Southern Baptist church, which mm-hmm. knowing the roots of the Southern Baptist Convention is very interesting since it was started by uh, slaves and freemen. Well, well, let me let me clarify. Um, I said it was a historically black church. It actually yeah. is not a historically Southern Baptist church. Oh, that's church. right. So okay, yep. It, it, so it was National Baptist. It, it, right. um, it, it joined the Southern Baptist Convention uh, I want to say roughly about maybe 17, 18 years ago. Okay. Um, about the time so, of the so, conservative resurgence there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it switched. It switched. Um, mm-hmm. It was before I got there, but it was maybe I, I got the first Baptist in 2010, not long after I got to St. Louis. It had probably um, switched to the Southern Baptist Convention probably in 2000, around 2005-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, gotcha. So, and that was a choice. That, that, was a, that was a decision that was made. Um, because of, you know, just, just things within the SBC, right. um, the emphasis around, you know, just missions and, sure. you know, just, uh, and, and, and things of that nature. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, talk a little bit about your journey through, uh, Covenant Seminary and, uh, what, what that was like, um, in a Presbyterian yeah. school, being a Baptist yourself and right. then to, yeah, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm curious why you chose Covenant Seminary. Yeah. Just right yeah, off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. So answer both of those things, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Mine first, because yeah, yeah, mine's more important. Yeah. So I just throw that out there. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good, man. Um, so man, so you know, it was interesting, man. My journey to Covenant was 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 really was interesting. So, you know, as I said, I, I began preaching actually my when I was uh, finishing up college, I was uh, I'm, I'm actually a music teacher by trade. Uh, and I was doing my student teaching and student teaching and preaching basically is what I spent all my time doing. Um and as I begin to look at schools, um, I've always had kind of an academic bent, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and just, uh, you know, strong academic performance and things like that. So, um, the schools that appealed to me, um, I would say the schools that appealed to me, um, you know, academically were schools like Vanderbilt, Emory, um, Duke, uh, things like that. So I applied to those schools and, um, I was actually accepted into, um, I got into Vanderbilt with like an 80% scholarship. Um, mm. And that was, uh, you know, that was even, that was the preliminary amount. Like I would get at least 80%, maybe more um, after my final grades came out. Um, I got into Emory, um, Candler School of Theology with a lot of scholarships. Um, but what I knew was that I needed to be um, in a school that would prepare me to do biblical ministry, man. I've, I've been blessed to... I'll be mentored and discipled by uh, men who believed in the primacy of Scripture, who believed in expository preaching, mm-hmm. uh, who preached the Bible from cover to cover every time they stood up. And so I knew that's what I needed. Um, and so when I, as I began to, when I went and visited these schools, man, I went and, you know, like I got into Vanderbilt, I went to visit Vanderbilt, and I'll never forget my first visit. Um, the first class I set in that I visited at Vanderbilt 
attacked the authority of scripture. Mm. Um, it was a it was a class on icons, and the teacher spent a good amount of time, you know, trying to debunk the idea. Like, well, some people say that icons aren't in the Bible, um, and so you can't do it. But where in the Bible does it say um, that it has to be in the Bible? And she just spent most of her time attacking scripture mm. um, in the in the class. And I don't even think that's necessary to teach about icons, but whatever. Um, <laughs> and, and so she could just actually talk about the purpose. But anyway, right. um, but, and then I went to, I went to, you know, I went and met with students and nope. What was fact, what was stunning to me was there was so little talk about Jesus at this seminary. It mm. was, I, I, I mean, nothing could have prepared me for that. <laughs> like, I mean, mm. It was like, so what, what are we doing here? Um, you know, um, Emory, Emory was better. Emory was a little better than than um than, than than Vanderbilt was in terms of my experience visiting. It was better. Um at least we talked about Jesus some. Yeah. And that was in, in, in the reformer some. It was better, you know, but what 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 I came where I bring that up because I went to these two big schools that scratched that academic itch for me, but I knew wouldn't prepare me to do what I need to do as a biblical preacher in a local church. Sure. Um and so I was like, man, I need a church I need a seminary that can can help me do that. These seminaries don't um reflect my conviction um, about what my call is as a pastor and the place of scripture in the life of the Christian and so forth and so on. So anyhow, man, all that to say, I, um, I literally got on, this is no exaggeration, I got on the ATS accreditation website, um, <laughs> and I started at A. And I said, I need to find a, a, a school that, number one, uh, believes in the inerrancy of scripture um, and that holds to um, clear biblical principles uh, when it comes to um, the, the primacy of scripture and, and is actually trying to train pastors for ministry. Um, and so I started at a, and I worked, worked my way down. Um, and not only got a school that believed in the Bible, I needed a school, um, that also was in a place where I could afford to live. That was the other piece too. Like a lot of these schools were in cities. I just couldn't afford living. So I started at a, and I worked my way down and I made it to C. Um, and I got the covenant and I was like, okay, covenant is, is seemed cool. Um, and I, looked at it and I actually, you know, I was like, man, okay. I didn't know a lot about the PCA. The only thing I knew about the PCA was uh, Dr. Uh, James Kennedy, mm -hmm. um, who I would watch, who I would watch every Sunday before I went to church. I Me too, like, man. I, like, oh, I did that too. Oh, yeah. Coral Ridge, <laughs> oh, man, baby. Yeah. Coral, Coral Ridge. Ridge man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Two questions. I, yeah. What's up? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man. I, I watched I watched Dr. Kennedy, man, every Sunday for years, and that's all I knew about Presbyterianism <laughs> was Dr. Kennedy, the robes, and the giant pipe working at Coral Ridge. Yeah, that's but, all but, I knew about it. But but, but but you know what the cool thing about your story is 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 it What's isn't that? a search for reformed theology. It's a it is a search for Scripture itself. And I yeah. say this as one who loves reformed theology. It actually makes yeah. me happier to know yeah. that it's this quest where God draws you in. With the beauty of the text itself and the gospel, yeah, that's um, that's awesome. Yeah, man. I mean, that's that's exactly what the Lord did, man. Uh, you know, I would say, and 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 um, I can't I can't leave this out. Um, you know, a, a big part of my quest for the Bible, man, is because the Lord. Um, in, when I began, when I sensed the Lord calling me to preach, I didn't know anything about all. I, I knew what biblical preaching was because I was blessed in my formative years as a Christian the pastors that I was under were expository preachers. They preached mm, the Bible. Mm. Um, and so I knew biblical preaching well, but I didn't have like a label for it. Um, but I knew it when I heard it. I knew what most of what I was hearing on, on Christian TV wasn't it. I knew that. 
Um, and, <laughs> That's uh, crazy talk, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so anyhow, when I started looking for preaching resources, like, Lord, okay, I want to preach the Bible. I Googled, uh, I got on Amazon, rather, and I just put in preaching books. And the Lord led me to a book by a guy that I had never heard of by the name of John MacArthur. Huh. Um, and the title of the book was Rediscovering Expository Preaching by Dr. John MacArthur and the Master Seminary staff. Hmm. Um, and that was the first book of preaching that I, on preaching that I read. Hmm. That, and then I was like, man, who the heck is this MacArthur guy, man? <laughs> um, and I started, I consumed everything that MacArthur read. I read every book. I bought software. If, if it had MacArthur on it, I read it. Huh. Um, and, and so anyhow, I say that to say was because even through reading MacArthur, you know, MacArthur, he's Calvinist, but he's dispensational. Right. You know, um, I still didn't have a handle on quote unquote reform theology, but what I did get introduced to, to Johnny Mac was, you know, this emphasis on preaching the Bible, the, the, the primacy of scripture. So when I started looking at seminaries, I want, I, I had checked out masters, but I just couldn't afford to live in California now. Yeah. Uh, so that is not that I can, I was like, I just couldn't do it. Um, but, um, I'm just saying that to say that, man, absolutely. It was, it was not, I, I didn't discover, I would say I didn't discover reformed theology proper really until I made the covenant as a student. Sure. Um, and, and what happened when I discovered reformed theology and, and, and to this day, I consider myself, you know, reformed was it, it definitely, I would say what covenant did was it exploded um, reformed theology beyond Tulip for sure. Uh, way beyond Tulip. Yeah. Um, and soteriology. You know, and I got immersed, man, I got immersed in, um, you know, theologians like Bob Inc. and Kuyper uh, and, and these Dutch reformers and things like that. And Alan Bozak from South Africa. Uh, and, and I began to read these this uh, rich theological tradition, man. And um, so when I think about, you know, you asked about the original question. I've wandered all about the place. That's OK. Uh, but, you know, um, your question about, um, you know, my time at Covenant, man, it was some of, it was the some of the richest three years of my life, man. Mm. It was. It and was, was your wife with you at that time? Yes. So, yes. so um, I, I, I have to ask this because I kind of yeah. have the same thing going on through when I went to seminary. When you come home with this stuff and you talk about it with your wife, yeah. how, how did she <laughs> respond? What, what was your interaction with her there? Yeah, just blank stares. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, you know, you know, me and my wife, man, we had we had an interesting thing. So when I first moved down. You know, it was, uh, we moved down on savings, you know, and, mm. and so we had, had put some stuff back. My wife actually had to stay in Indiana for the first nine months and keep working until she sh could find a job wow. um, down here. So my, my, I was blessed, man. I was profoundly blessed in my seminary experience of Covenant. Um, in that, until my last year of seminary, uh, when I went on staff at First Baptist, I didn't have to work. Um, mm. I'm forever indebted to my wife. Um, because she worked because she wanted me to be able to focus on my studies. Um, and, and so what that created for me, um, was the opportunity to, you know, sit and do Greek and Hebrew for eight to 10 hours a day to study and mm. read the, the, the best theologians for, you know, eight to 10 hours a day. Um, and to commit to heart and to mastery, um, the things that the professors were putting in front of me. Um, and that's a gift that I will forever be indebted, um, to my wife for because you know it wasn't that I didn't I've I've, I've worked since I was 11 years old so I, I'm not scared of work um but my wife she said I want you to be able to commit yourself mm. um now we she's like you know we got to tighten the belt I, I, I jokingly my wife is real tight when it comes to finances I, I lovingly call her Davida Ramsey she don't play <laughs> you know um but she, she's like 
that's what I call her. She, she, You're she lucky you're that. still alive, brother. That's all <laughs> yeah, I have yeah. to say. She, she, she don't listen to Theology Password uh, 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 podcast. So she, you're all set. I'm all set. But, uh, she, uh, but man, she, she don't play, so she's like, we got to tighten the belt. You know, beans and rice, rice and beans, you know. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, she, like, you know, it gave me the opportunity to study, man. So I was able, like, the reason why Covenant was so rich for me was, man, what, when I think about Covenant, uh, what made it so strong was, man, the, the professors that were there, their level of scholarship and their pastoral heart mm. um, was just, it, it was incredible, man. I, I, I love Covenant. Um, and, yeah, it was just incredible, man. I learned, I, I learned, I, I mean, I had torn down and deconstructed a lot of things by the time I got there. And I felt like God used Covenant to, to help me reconstruct my theology, uh, my understanding of Scripture in a way that, it's just phenomenal. So, yeah. yeah, that's awesome, man. Now you've continued mm-hmm. your education into uh, the PhD program at Midwestern Seminary, and yeah. uh, we wanted to uh, talk about what it is you're aiming for as far as your dissertation, uh, your research. Yeah. And uh, of course, I know that Gary's familiar with it a little bit, but could you explain a little bit for our audience what you're pursuing and why? Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what I'm hoping to dissertation, and I'm hoping to start a dissertation seminar in August, if I can just get past German court, uh, I just, anyway, that's a whole other podcast. But anyway, uh, I, uh, I'm i hoping to uh, dissertation on uh, uh, cognitive disabilities in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, what, what's interesting, when you read um, about the image of God in the history of Christian interpretation, you would think that that's like, hey, this is the first page of the Bible. Um <laughs> is pretty cut and dry. Um, but what you see is that Christians have historically um, not interpreted those passages as they, as they should have, or have misapplied them to allow for injustice um, and allow for um, discrimination and to allow for um, the marginalization of, of, of various peoples. Because um, it turns functional. It turns pragmatic. They, they move away absolutely. from the theological to the pragmatic. Absolutely. Absolutely, Gary. I mean, it's one of those things like, you know, and that's a big part of my dissertation. Um, I kind of stumbled on this topic. Um, so, you know, when I like a lot of people ask, like, why would you want to write on cognitive disabilities? Uh, well, well, my son um, that I talked about who, who's eight years old, he, um, he is on the autism spectrum. Uh, and so, you know, I remember uh, when, you know, he was diagnosed. I remember how hard that hit me. Hmm. Um, it, 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 I mean, it devastated me. Um, and, and just a fun fact about my past, you know, I, I worked for uh, Easter Seals of North Beach, Indiana with people with developmental disabilities. So I knew the signs of it. So mm. uh, I, I could tell that some things were going on, but he was also, um, he was also a bit premature. Um, so I was just hoping that they were delays related to his, you know, he was born at 32 and a half weeks. So I was just hoping they were delays related to uh, his prematurity, you know. Uh, and, uh, but they turned out not to be. Uh, and so, man, that rocked me. Um, and I, I have to tell tell folks that I have never been closer to being a Presbyterian <laughs> than when I received my son's diagnosis. Yeah, um, that would it, make sense. Yeah, that would. Yeah, it it it. Um, you know, I was you know going through Covenant as a Baptist wasn't actually as hard as you would think. You know, they're pretty Baptist friendly. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, but you know, they they stick to their Presbyterian guns. You know, but you know. Um, you know, but when when I had that diagnosis, and then I'm asking questions about, okay, now thankfully my, my, my son Carlton, you know, he he's actually fairly, you know, he's he's more mild, um, he's right. pretty high functioning, he, he he reads well, he talks a lot, um, 
you know, and I, I don't have as many worries today about his professional faith, but I didn't know any of that when he was diagnosed. For all I could have known, he could have been completely nonverbal. Right. Um, and, and so, um, you know, but as a Baptist where you, you're looking for a credible profession of faith, mm-hmm. um, before he can be considered a part of the church instantly. I'm like, man, what does it mean for my son to be a part of the people of God? Mm-hmm. What does it mean for him to be discipled? Um, is he going to be marked? Is he going to be relegated, um, to, you know, just, you know, just, you know, nothingness, like in right. terms of his church activity, is he going to be taken seriously? Um, because he cannot verbalize in the same way that another person would um, his understanding of, of Christ. Um, and so as I began to look for resources to, to read on this, man, I just found so little, um, so little. Um, I mean, in terms of sustained theological reflection, I found a couple books that are like, okay, how to integrate kids with special needs into your children's ministry or something. But in terms of, of sustained theological work, um, I found little. Okay, I mean, pause. To... Okay, pause, pause yeah, yeah. right there. Why do you think that is? When, when when you sit there and you look at that, especially with all the work that's been done in counseling over the last 20, 30 years, why, mm-hmm. and why do you think we still are not addressing these issues? And I'm asking out of yeah. curiosity. I don't have an agenda. Yeah, that. That's, that, that's a good question, man. That's a good question. I don't, I don't have, um, I, I'm not sure. I think some of it is, I think we'd be content to just kind of think of, Folks, um, I, don't, I don't think we've taken seriously the need to actual disciple and call out of people with special needs for guys put there. Um, I actually think we just tend to relegate them to like, okay, well, Jesus got them and we don't have to worry about them. Okay. Um, and so, and I actually think as a person who worked with uh, people with developmental disabilities for years, one of the most formative moments in my life was uh, there was a church, it was a Pentecostal church, uh, First Assembly of God. In, um, in 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 Fort Wayne, Indiana, and they had a special needs service just for people with special needs. And I would see these people worshiping and reading their Bibles and talking about Jesus and see their 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 childlike love for Jesus. Um, and it was beautiful. And and so I think that some of it is that we haven't figured out. I think I think it's hard work. I think we are just like okay, well they we'll just leave their families with them. I don't think we figure out how to bring them into And I think there are churches individually who have done this. And there are a few, um, like Irvine Bible Church in Ir- Irvine, Texas, which is doing a phenomenal job of this. I think, mm. um, I think, I think Bethlehem Baptist in Minnesota has done a great job of this as well. You know, um, but um, as a whole, I think we just kind of like, well, their family got them. Um, and we just haven't, haven't looked at it. And I don't think we're really thinking about the discipleship aspect of it. or thinking of them as a part of the church like everyone else is. And that's why Presbyterianism was starting to look real good to me, um, because they could they could be baptized and be a part of the church and considered a part of the church at least in terms of you know their function, right? Covenant um, they, community, it, yeah. Covenant community, and so this is why I think Baptists. One of the reasons I want to uh, have wanted to think about this because I think Baptists, man, we got some serious questions to ask. Um, what does baptism do? I think we know that, but when we think about people um, who are who have special needs. Man, what does discipleship and really functionally, functionally integrating them into into the um, the people of God look like? Um, but you know, anyhow, you know, when you look at the image of God and mm-hmm. and what people have thought regarding the image of God in uh, people with special needs, I mean, you get these incidents, for example, of uh, Martin Luther um, calling uh, talking about a young man that he um, called an imbecile, talking about that he should just be drowned. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because, uh, to your point, Gary, it becomes very functional. 
you know, it's just cognitive for too many, um, as, as Aquinas does much with. Um, and so what, I, what I'm hoping to argue for um, is uh, what uh, Kilner, he argues for really well in his book, um, uh, Dignity and Destiny. Um, it's for an ontological image of God. <clears throat> and um, also argue, uh, what I'm also hoping to argue, we'll see how this goes, um, that vulnerability and dependence um, that um, you see um, exhibited in a large way in people with cognitive disabilities, that vulnerability and dependence are not inherently a part of the fall of man, but are present in pre-fall humanity, as well as present even in, um, in Christ and in the incarnation. And so flesh that out a little bit for us, brother, especially the whole vulnerability part, because I think that's a really important point there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So when you think about vulnerability um, and you read uh, Genesis one, you see that the man and the woman were both naked and were not ashamed. Mm -hmm. They were known and were fully known. Mm -hmm. Um, They had to depend on one another. They had to trust one another. They had to trust the Lord. Sin was not in the picture yet. Um, And if you've ever worked with people with disabilities, they are vulnerable. My mm. son is vulnerable. I worry about him all the time. Um, and he has to trust me, you know. Mm. Um, and that vulnerability and trust now is do it. Now, I'm of the school, and there are some people, there's a whole other conversation among some, you know, whether or not uh, disability is a, is a manifestation of the fall. I would argue it is. Um, that it's not, even though, you know, we love and we shepherd and we disciple our kids with disability, that it's not God's original intention for humanity to experience disability. Right, um, sure. But, but the vulnerability that's there mm. actually can image God, can image the, the, the childlikeness that Christ calls out of us. Mm. Um, we see it present. You, you um, know, you, and, please, yeah. please, 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 please go ahead and I'll jump in in a minute, but finish your thought. I'm oh. sorry. Oh, and well, I, I was going to say, so you see that, you see that innocence, you see that vulnerability in pre-fall humanity and you see that same, same vulnerability and dependence in Jesus um, in which he is vulnerable or, or you see his dependence on the Father in the mm. incarnation. He's fully dependent on the Father, fully dependent on the Spirit. And even in the Father, you see his vulnerability with the Son and making himself known from all eternity um, as the Son is eternally generated from the Father. So this eternal fellowship of vulnerability, uh, the Son's dependence on the Father through eternal generation, um, you even see it there. And so I, I, my argument and, and you know, is that vulnerability vulnerability independence are ways that um, people with cognitive disabilities um, actually um, reflect the image of God and connect with others. Um, and, and I'm using Kil- I'm using Kilner's definition there. He defines the image as the ability to reflect and connect is kind of his language. So I'm kind of borrowing his language. There. And that I, I love that application that ties in very closely with first Corinthians one, which which we give lip service to, you know, God has mm-hmm. not called many wise, not many noble. We're like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, but we don't understand or we don't like to embrace what that fully is saying. And I mm-hmm. think that contrasts also, and this is something I've seen from, I guess, the prophecy movements of the 70s, 80s, and 90s, where people's eschatology is such, where they believe that in 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 in, in some eternal state, that we will take upon ourselves some sort of divine uh, powers that only belong mm-hmm. to Christ himself, and they don't recognize, like you've pointed out, that that vulnerability is also part of sinlessness, that, that mm-hmm. there, there's nothing mm-hmm. sinful about not being capable of something. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's cool. That, yeah. is, that is that is very cool. Yeah. So yeah, I, what I need y'all to do now is pray that my proposal is accepted, uh, <laughs> and, and that <laughs> and, uh, and that I don't like you know. Anytime you start talking about like stepping to Trinity, there was like some big uh, something some big theological throwdown a few years ago about the whole economy of Trinity and, and yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah, sure. Yes, um, so, uh, just pray that. Yeah, all that stuff. So just pray down, like uh, write something heretical by mistake. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think we're all fearful of that, bro. When we're when we're writing these things, you know, it's funny how much yeah, overlap man. with your topic and my topic there is. We need to we need to talk about that soon. Hey, we're yeah, we're um we're coming to the end of our time. We try to keep these at about a half an hour, but I wanted oh, to okay. just I'm no, you're lot. fine, man. Like I just wanted to. Uh, take a moment to talk about the image of God and the recent events in our country concerning uh, Mm -hmm. George Floyd and some of those things. And uh, I love, I love Kilner's book. I think it is, um, Mm -hmm. it's in some sense is a watershed because of the ontological, which of course Mm -hmm. our our friend and professor Owen Strand has taken that in his reenchanting humanity and, and done some work with that as well. Um, Can Mm -hmm. you just, can you just speak really quickly to the issue of, um, what what we're seeing in our country right now, and how we as the church understanding what we ought to understand about the Imago Dei helps us um, with the lens for for how we ought to yeah. respond. If you don't mind, yeah, absolutely, I'd be happy to. So, um, I, I want to speak to yeah the 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 the, um, the George Floyd situation. Um, you know what what we've seen, um, and this is where I think I think most folks are. I've seen a precious few folks um, who are saying that what George Floyd, what happened to George Floyd at the hands of the Minnesota police officers should have happened. Um, I got some, I got some Uber pro police friends um, and I've seen the most pro police back to blue folks you can imagine clearly say that that was an injustice. Yeah. Um, And I mean, what 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 we've seen there was nothing short of just murder. It was yes. it was flat out murder. Um, there is no two ways about it. Right. Um, and so what what I, what I think we got to figure out now, and what I, what particularly, and I I, I do want to say as as a black man in America, I do want uh, especially my white Christian brothers and sisters to understand um, that what we've seen, while it may just now be being videoed, mm-hmm. is not new for Black America. Mm-hmm. Um, there has long been police officers who have um, murdered and have targeted African Americans mm-hmm. um, and have and have disrespected that image and didn't see them as the image bearers that they were. Um, and here, here's where where I think um, the 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 issue comes and where it's so important and where the unity becomes uh, or where unity is needed. Um, I think we have to understand that. Um, I don't think it's enough for us to just say that, oh, there are a couple bad apples in the police bunch, um, that slavery is not as long ago as it sounds. Uh, Reconstruction is not as long ago as it sounds. Jim Crow is not as far away as it sounds. I just I just have to point my pastor who who is still alive. He's 68 years old, who lived through Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. These people are still alive. Mm-hmm. Like we, we talk about this stuff like it was 2400 years ago. Mm-hmm. That, like these people are still alive walking around. Um, and that America um, needs to have a, a reckoning um, with race and needs to, um, I believe that the issue is, is, is frankly, repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, is that America has does wants to bury its racist past and pretend like it's gone. And that's not how a demon as horrible as racism is, is, um, 
is exercised in, in our culture. Um, you have to own it. You have to repent for it. Um, and it has to be turned away from as a people. Um, and so that, those are my thoughts around that. Um, I think that um, as, as a black Christian, I need my white Christian brothers and sisters to stand up and speak and not be scared that they're going to, um, you know, be looked at as, you know, in, in some weird political thing. Um, sure. because they're standing, uh, because for me as a, as a black man in America, um, uh, Gary, you've never seen me. Jason has, I'm six, three, I'm 300 pounds. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and so, um, and I got a, and I got a beard and for some white people, I, every day I, I, I see some white people, uh, you know, who engage me as if I'm somehow threatened. They don't know that I'm getting a PhD. I'm on my second, uh, degree from an evangelical institution. They don't know that. Mm-hmm. They don't know that I'm a pastor if I, unless I have a collar on or something. <laughs> you know, what right. they see is a large black man who might look a little scary to them. Mm-hmm. And I need you all, I need you all who are in congregations that I might not be in to, to speak clearly to these issues and to stand up on our behalf uh, because it has created a culture in our country um, that for me, again, this is an existential threat. This isn't a political talking point. This ain't nothing to tweet about. This ain't just, this ain't just stuff to argue about. This is if I'm in the hands of the wrong officer or the wrong individual, my life is at stake. Mm. Um, and I think it's also is, is important to know that I'm saying this from perspective, not only as a black man in America, but as the son of a police officer. My yeah. father is a 25 year old veteran, a 25, 25 year veteran of the Detroit police force. So I don't hate police by a long shot. My daddy was one. I saw him put on a shield and a gun every single, every single day. Yeah. And go out there and serve and protect. And what part um, of Detroit also, did and did 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 he police in? What 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 part of Detroit uh, did he, he serve in? Uh, downtown and Midtown. And yeah, that's yeah. I've I've been on Woodward. I've I've I mean that's yeah. yeah I know what you're talking about. But it, it's yeah. I I think one of the things tying in with the local church and we we've been going mm-hmm. through this talking through it is how much the sin of partiality is warned against all the way through mm-hmm. the Old and the New Testament, and mm-hmm. we don't equate that with the with, with the tendency to hate the outsider or, yeah, or, or to use the outsider, and we don't realize that God has warned against this so many different times. Absolutely. Absolutely, my brother. Like, absolutely. Um, and um, so... You know, I'm I'm um, you know, I'm at a place where, you know, to be to be candid with you guys, the word I'm hearing from a lot of my black Christian friends about this right now. And this isn't, um, you know, I haven't done a, you know, a, done a taken a, 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 an official status or, or, or stat or nothing. Um, but this is anecdotal. But what I've heard from a lot of folks is the word tired. Mm-hmm. Like as as black Christians, it's like, you know, um a lot of our white brothers and sisters want our unity. They want to hold hands and sing Kumbaya and they want us, they want us at, at, to, to be at a table, but it's only at a table with a, per, with a part of who we are. Mm. Um, and I, I was, I was actually talking to some brothers yesterday who were, they were like, well, there, there's only two races that Paul is concerned about those in Adam and those in Christ. I'm like, at a macro level, I agree with you. But mm-hmm. Paul also says regularly, you Gentiles, Jews you and Gentiles. Gentiles. Yeah. 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 Jesus, he, he, he's like, while you're one in Christ, you're still Jews. You're still Gentiles. That's right. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, we get again, the, the well, well quoted uh, revelation seven, you know, we, we don't see in scripture, this flat lining of our ethnicity. Right. Um, we, we see this or, or flattening rather, uh, of, of our ethnicity. What we see is a celebration mm-hmm. of who we are. Mm-hmm. So I guess my, you know, when I, when I see, when I see these things, you know, we got to recognize that for black folks that man, we, uh, we have generationally like, 
and it's, and it's not as far away as, as, as we think. I mean, I just told you, I come from a historic black church that was founded 180 years ago by slaves. Mm-hmm. Slavery ain't as far behind us as we want to think. Right. It's, it's crazy to think um, that it's just all going away. We, we're going to have to deal with this stuff um, as a people. And, you know, it's, it's, it's what Dr. King said. We're going to either have to learn how to live together as brothers and sisters or parents together as fools. Because, you know, right now, it's, you know, we're, we're not doing a good job of living together as brothers and sisters, I don't think. Yeah. Well, that's really helpful, man. I, Carlos, I would love to have you back on again to talk about more of these issues as well, because I think we've we've kind of uncovered the the problem a little bit, maybe touched on yeah. a few solutions. But, man, I would I would love to have you back on and talk more about how do we work through this. Um, and uh, certainly, brother, um, uh, of course, I love you and I'm thankful for you. And just the, the perspective that you're getting now as one who is in a church that's a little more diverse and those conversations mm-hmm. are different, I would assume, uh, oh, yeah. than what they've been in the past. And so I'd just love to have you on. But uh, unfortunately, we're at the end of time. But Carlos, we okay. thanks for, for having you on. And um, thanks for listening in today to uh, The Walrus and the Carpenter. Really appreciate being able to have Carlos on. And um, if you have any comments or questions, please reach out to us through our website, wallcarpradio.wordpress.com. Uh, or facebook.com slash radio. And if you head over to iTunes and, and leave us a rating there, we would uh, surely appreciate it. And until next time, we'll see you then. Have a good one.